Good morning. My name is Stan Horton. Today's scripture reading is John 18, 28 to 38, and John 19, 9 to 16. Both can be found on page 904 of the Black Pew Bibles. If you do not have a Bible of your own or know someone who needs one, please feel free to take one of the Pew Bibles as our gift to you. Again, the reading is John 18, verses 28 to 38, and followed by John 19, verses 9 through 16. Please stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens To my voice, Pilate said to him, What is truth? He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The word of the Lord.
Thank you, Stan. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sergei Marchenko. I'm one of the pastors and elders here. And I'm going to release the children uh, in just one minute. I have two announcements to make. Uh, one is that VBS is starting, uh, and that's going to be the first day of VBS is Monday the 7th of August. Uh, and then next Sunday, we're going to set up right after worship. So if you're involved, please stick around right after worship to help set up for VBS. And if you're not involved, we welcome your help. We can use extra hands to get it all figured out and set up for the kids that will descend on Monday morning. So we want to be ready for them. Uh, my other announcement is that there are training events that we'll be doing during Sunday school uh, starting August 13th, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. And uh, if you would like to just prepare better for the fall, the season, the fall season of ministry, if you're a greeter or would like to be a greeter, if you're part of a small group or leading a small group, all that whole schedule is in your bulletin. So please look at it. All those events are set up on the city, which is our social site we use for church communication. And please respond there so we know who to expect. But I just ask that you would take it seriously. We really want this next season of ministry to be effective and productive, and so we want to be ready to welcome new people into the church, greet them well, incorporate them into our community. I said I have two announcements. I have one more. Cameron Cato is going to be here next Sunday. He's one of our missionaries and friends, and, and also there's information in the bulletin to help uh, with certain needs, and then just come and spend time with him and his wife and his family uh, during the Sunday school hour. There'll be refreshments and just time to be together, and he will preach in the service uh, next Sunday, the 6th of August. So those are all my announcements. Now, children between two years old and third grade age are released for Children's Church, and if you're visiting with us today, we're just thrilled you're here. You can take your children that way. There'll be somebody there to direct you. If your children are older and staying in the service, uh, we have uh, special sermon notes for kids and for teens, uh, and somebody in the foyer will be able to help you find them if you'd like your kids to, to follow along, or you can just use the adult sermon notes in the bulletin as well. All right, so many introductions. Now let's get into our text. I'd love for you to keep your Bibles open to John 18, and then we'll, we'll get into some of the 19th chapter as well. We're, we're going through this series, the summer series on the Gospel of John, as we come uh, to various conversations Jesus had with different people, and we're trying to see how we can identify with some of the people Jesus is talking to, and also to learn how we can talk to people about Jesus as he is modeling it for us. So we're coming to this conversation that Jesus has with Pontius Pilate, this politician that uh, Mike mentioned. Jesus has been betrayed and arrested at this point. The Jewish authorities have already made up their minds as to his guilt, but they need the official sign-off from the Roman governor. The Jews at that time were not able to legally put anybody to death, so they had to bring them to the governor, to the prefect of Judea, to get the official okay and the sentence from a Roman representative. So that's why Jesus is talking to Pilate here. Pilate's job is to decide whether Jesus' crime is deserving of a death sentence, which would be crucifixion, reserved for the worst criminals traitors and uh, pretenders to the throne. So they bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate, and what follows is this extensive record of a conversation. This is pretty unusual to have such a long conversation that John records for us. In the other three Gospels, the conversation is not nearly as, as long and as detailed as John records it for us. The straightforward reading of this account presents a Roman politician who's trying to simply just figure out whether Jesus deserves death. And Pilate interrogates Jesus, and the main question he has is very clear from the text. His question is, are you a king? Are you a king? Because if he is a king, he's a threat to the Roman Caesar. If he's not a king, it's a minor crime that does not deserve crucifixion. Now, a more careful reading of our text will reveal that Jesus is exposing Pilate for the kind of leader that he is. So as Pilate is interrogating Jesus, it's as if Jesus is interrogating Pilate at the same time and asking him questions and probing into his heart and, in a sense, juxtaposing his way of leadership and kingship to the Roman way, to Pilate's way. 
It's a clash of two kingdoms. I think the best way to understand this extensive record of this conversation is there's a clash of two kingdoms, two types of societies, two types of systems come against each other. The kingdom of the world, represented by Pilate, and the kingdom of God, represented by Jesus. And there's a great difference between the two. Jesus' kingship is contrasted to the leadership of Pilate. It's a fascinating and, I think, very insightful exploration of two kinds of power, two kinds of leadership, and ultimately two kinds of kingdoms. So that's what we're looking at today. What I'd like us to do as we work through the passage, I'd like each one of us to ask ourselves, which kingdom do I belong to? Which kingdom do I belong to? If there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God, which one do I belong to? Which one do I live under the principles of? I'll give you four traits of Christ's kingdom from this conversation. And of course, each trait will have a corresponding opposite trait for the kingdom of the world. So before we get into the traits, let me show you a key verse, I think, from this passage. This is John 18, verses 37 and 38. I think Jesus here tells us kind of the foundational principle of how to think about kingdoms and how to think about leadership, how to think about power. This is what he says. Pilate asks Jesus again if he's a king, and Jesus responds, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? So Jesus says, my mission, my purpose for being here, in a sense, my kingdom, my way of leadership, has to do with the truth. To which Pilate responds, what is truth? He dismisses that idea of truth. But Jesus says, I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth, to tell you what the truth is and to live according to this truth. And so his kingdom is founded on truth. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of truth. And we will see how this idea of truth permeates every trait that he lays out for us relating to his kingdom, something that contrasts with the kingdom of the world and its traits. So what is truth? Let's answer that question before we get into the traits. Of course, Pilate is, says it dismissively. He's not expecting an answer. But Jesus says that I've come to bear witness to the truth. What does Jesus mean by the truth? I think just to very plainly, it's how things really are. The truth is how things really are. It's reality. Jesus came to restore reality to the world that lives in deception. So many metaphors in Scripture about that. Light and darkness, life and death, right? Jesus comes to reveal this, this reality of God, the way things really are, not as they appear, but the way things really are from the perspective of God. So it's a divine reality. God is the only objective observer. And so God, through Jesus, is telling us what this reality is. And we are now to live according to this reality as described by God through Christ. And so we are to live in the kingdom of this truth. That's why Jesus came. The kingdom of truth is a kingdom that based on the way things really are as revealed by God himself. Okay, so that's the truth. Now we're going to work out what this kingdom of truth looks like in, in these four traits. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have them alliterated. They're in your notes. Uh, but I was, I was trying to get at the meaning of each one, and I didn't want to change it just for the sake of alliteration. But next time I preach, I promise, we're back to alliteration. Three points alliterated. Okay, so number one trait what is the trait? What are the traits of this kingdom of truth that Jesus is, is promoting here? Number one, truth is not obscured by appearances. Truth is not obscured by appearances. Verse 33, Pilate asks, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, you here is emphatic. So if we were to read it the way we're supposed to read it, knowing how it's written, the emphatic you here, we would read, Are you the king of the Jews? There's a surprise here. Pilate is looking at Jesus, and, and he is asking, are you 
this king that they've been talking about? You don't look like a king. By all appearances, you don't seem to be very royal. So are you this king that all this noise is about? You see, Pilate instinctively trusts appearances. And Jesus doesn't conform to the picture of a king that Pilate has. In fact, this idea of of trusting the appearances becomes part of his strategy to release Jesus. There's twice later in this passage where, where Pilate brings out Jesus, at one point bloodied and flogged already, and he presents him to the crowd. And one time he says, Behold the man. Again, because it's written in this kind of old English, right? Behold the man. We think of it as a noble pronouncement. What Pilate is actually saying is, Look at him. Look at him. Such a pathetic man. Is this your king? He's telling people to, to trust what they see. And they're not looking at a king. They're looking at somebody who's been beat up and completely under the control of the Roman prefect. And then late, uh, lastly, at the end of our passage in uh, 19 verse 14, Pilate says, Behold your king. Behold your king. Again, a mocking statement saying, Behold your king. Look at him. He doesn't look like a king. He's clearly mocking this whole idea of Jesus being any sort of royal person or any sort of revolutionary that other people should follow. He doesn't look like it. Can this man really be a king is the question that Pilate is asking. Now, in Pilate's world, appearances matter. We know from history, and by the way, we know a lot from history about Pilate, not just from Scripture. Pilate, when he first came to Judea, um, he was so, so arrogant and so in love with the power of Rome that he brought in the standards, the, the banners, right, and all the insignia, all the symbols and images of Caesar into the city of Jerusalem. Big mistake. The Jews were so careful not to create any kind of idol or image of anything else that is to be worshipped so they could worship God alone that people were very upset and an uprising happened. And eventually Pilate gave in and, and removed those, those symbols. But for Pilate, those things mattered. The symbol of Rome. It's Caesar himself coming to take the city. For Pilate, you know, that, that, that pomp and, and, and the spectacle and the, the expression of power that mattered to him. And so he looks at Jesus, this ordinary-looking man who's been interrogated and beaten, he doesn't look like a king. doesn't look royal. It's no different in the kingdom of the world today. We create a perception of ourselves for everyone else to see, and we want people to judge us based on that, right? We don't want them, often don't want them to see the real us. We want to portray a picture of who we think we are and who we think they should see and treat us accordingly. We want people to judge us based on the images of ourselves we present to them. We want control of how we are portrayed and how we are seen by others. It's the way of politicians, certainly. It's the way of most celebrities. It's the way of social media, which affects all of us, unless you've been able to miraculously resist the pull of technology. We spin. We present ourselves differently. We make up stories, we make up news stories to present ourselves or somebody we like in a favorable light. But that is not the way things are in the kingdom of truth. God is not deceived by appearances. Remember, God knows you. God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly who I am. And whatever front I can put up before you, I can't do that with God. So God sees me. He knows me. The classic illustration of that is, is when God is choosing a king for Israel. This is 1 Samuel 16, that, that famous verse uh, where, where it says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And the context of that is Samuel the prophet goes to pick the next king for Israel. And, and he knows he has to go to this family, to Jesse's family. And Jesse has many sons. And so they start with the oldest and go through it. And God says, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. Finally, they get to the end. There's no more sons left. 
All the impressive lads have been discarded by God. And finally Samuel says, do you have someone else? And Jesse says, oh yeah, we have that other kid. He's with the, the sheep. He's not much to look at. He's not impressive like his brothers. And God says, that's the king. Because God looks on the heart. And God knows that David has a shepherd's heart and is looking for a shepherd for his people. That's how God operates. In his kingdom, it's not based on appearances. It's based on the inner being of the person whom God can see. Now let me apply this. Which kingdom are you living in? Which kingdom do you belong to? Do you create appearances? Do you pretend? Do you portray yourself in a certain way? Let's make it more relevant today, this morning at church. Have we come to present ourselves in a certain light so that other people, our brothers and sisters, will see us in a certain way and will like us, will accept us, will affirm us in a certain way? Or have we come as we are, openly, saying, here I am, some good qualities about me, there's some rotten qualities about me, there's some struggles in my life. This is me. Are we pretending so that we can get acceptance and validation of others? That is the way of the world. It's not the way of the kingdom of truth. Kingdom of truth is based on the way things really are. And so we are to operate in the way we really are. This application point is not just about us individuals, but it's about our church as well. This has been on my heart, I've been trying to process that and I read a book that kind of prompted this whole thinking in my mind. And the question is, for me, is are we as a church trying to attract and keep people by presenting ourselves in a certain light? So they would come to us based on how we portray ourselves to them. One way of saying it would be, are we putting on a show that would please them so they can come and stay with us. Or, this is the way of Jesus, this is the way of the kingdom of the truth, are we trusting that it is Jesus who draws people to himself? And so are we making him central and saying we're not going to care about our appearances as much, we're not going to make that primary we're not going to say we will do this so that people will come, but we will say we will put Jesus up front and he will draw people to himself as he has promised. This is a fundamental question for a church. This is a question for us. Even as we're going into a new season of ministry this fall with a new resolve to reach our community and talk to people, invite them to church, share the gospel with them, the question is are we going to do it in the way of the world or are we going to do it in the way of the kingdom of truth? This is very important. That will determine the kind of disciples we will be making. Are we going to make more subjects of the kingdom of the world by affirming the importance of appearances? Or are we going to make more disciples of Christ by doing it in the way of the kingdom of truth? Number two, second trait of the kingdom of truth is that truth brings freedom. Truth leads to freedom. The great irony of this passage, and, and, and there is a, there's a lot of irony in this passage, but I think the greatest of all is that the person who seems to have all the power, Pilate, seems to have all the power, is in fact unable to do what he really wants to do. Three times he's trying to release Jesus and he can't do it. This is the man who says, Jesus, don't you know, I have the authority to crucify you or to release you. Of course, Jesus says you don't really have that authority. But Pilate, with all his power, he, he is the supreme leader in that region. There's nobody higher than him. And yet, he cannot release the innocent person. He cannot save Jesus from crucifixion. He just can't do it. He is enslaved and controlled by this system of power of which he is a part of. Throughout this whole passage, he is going back and forth in, in the praetorium, in, in his palace and out to talk to the Jews. He's back and forth going between these two parties. He's going to Jesus, he asks questions, 
and walks away thinking Jesus is innocent. And then he goes back and the mob persuades him again to go and find some fault in Jesus so he could put him to death. And eventually, what does he do? He crucifies Jesus. He doesn't believe Jesus deserves to be put to death. And yet he does what the mob tells him to do. It's a great irony that the one who is free here, the one who has all this power, can do what he wants to do. But the one who is bound, the one who is, has, seems to have no power, seems to be completely at the mercy of Pilate, is actually the freest man of all. Jesus says in, in John 18, 34, he says, uh, he says to Pilate, Do you say this, meaning are you the king of the Jews, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? He gets right to the core of Pilate's lack of freedom. He's basically saying, can you make up your own mind about me and do what you think is right? Or are you simply going to go along with other people who have influence over you? And of course we know Pilate is not free to make up his own mind. He can't do it. He's afraid of Caesar. He's afraid of the mob. He's afraid of a riot. And though he claims he has this authority, he really doesn't. He doesn't have power and he doesn't have freedom. We know from history, too, that Pilate was a pirate. I wonder if Pilate was a pirate. That would be very cool. (laughs) Pilate is is a paranoid, insecure, superstitious person. For all his power, I mean, this is, this is a weird thing. He has all, it's this almost unlimited power. And yet he's constantly in fear, wondering how he can retain this power. No freedom. He's the governor of Judea, put people to death, command a Roman army, and yet he's not free to do what he wants to do. But Jesus is in full control of the situation. The one who is bound, the one who is at the mercy of this Roman official, he is completely in control. He, he says earlier in the Gospel of John, John 10, verse 18, he says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. It's amazing. The one who is bound... The one whose fate is is being decided right now, he says, I'm in full control. I lay down my life, and I can take it up again. So the one who has no power is free. The one who has all the power is enslaved by the system and is not free. Go with me to to chapter 19. We'll jump around just a little bit because it's the same theme that, that plays out in the second part of the conversation. This is John 19, verse 9. This is after Pilate hears that people are calling Jesus the Son of God, which in fact, that is the charge that the Jews are bringing. They have to make it political for Pilate to sign off on the execution, but the charge they really care about is that Jesus made himself equal to God. That's why they want him dead. And so Pilate hears that, and he's a, remember, he's a superstitious man. And so he's thinking, man, what if he is a god? What if he's a deity of some sort? Remember, coming out of pagan pagan worldview. There's all sorts of gods everywhere. There's all sorts of powerful deities everywhere. Maybe this is one of them. And so he goes to Jesus again and and he asks him, this is verse 9 of chapter 19, where are you from? This is an interesting question. Where are you from? This reminds me of Chicago politics. I lived in Chicago for enough years to, to figure out how the city works. There's a phrase they use uh, the, the phrase is, we don't want nobody, nobody sent. And the story is that uh, that, that phrase came from, from a, just a young college kid who wanted to volunteer for a local campaign, went to, the, to, to his you know, local ward office and, and talking to a ward captain, and he says, I'd like to volunteer for this campaign. And the ward captain says, says who sent you? And the guy says, nobody sent me, I just want to volunteer. And he says, we don't want nobody, nobody sent. Why? You're not part of the system. We don't know if we can trust you. You're not part of the machine. They still talk about the machine in Chicago. It's been so many years after the old mayor Daly died, but there's still that idea that there's a political system that works. And you can find your place in that system to gain power. But to gain power, you have to give up your freedom. 
You have to commit to this whole mechanism of, of political patronage and favors and deals. Now, if you do that, you will gain power, but you will lose freedom. You're not your own person anymore. You're part of the system now. This is, this is what's going on with Pilate. And so he wants to know, is Jesus somebody that somebody sent? Does he need to reckon with Jesus in a different way? Because maybe he just misjudged him. Maybe Jesus' appearance uh, mis, mis, uh, that confused Pilate and he doesn't know who he really is. So who sent you? Where are you from? And then he says, uh, Jesus doesn't answer, and Pilate says, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And this is what Jesus says to that. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus is in full control. He knows God's plan is unfolding. Jesus is completely free, pursuing exactly the goals that he has. And Pilate is stuck as part of the machine, part of a system that has enslaved him. And he had to give up his freedom to get his power. And of course, we see that he really doesn't have any actual power. So here's the application question. Are you free? Can you live an authentic life? By that I mean, can you do what you think you really need to do? Or are you constrained by some sort of a system? Are you stuck in a machine where you were promised power in exchange for your freedom? And so now you kind of have to conform to other people's expectations. You kind of have to do what's expected of you, even if you don't believe that's right. But you're stuck. Do you make decisions based on the truth, the way things really are, or based on the expectations that you feel you need to fulfill? The contrast between two kingdoms. In Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of the things they really are, the kingdom of the truth, he's saying you could be really free. You could do what you really are meant to do in this life. And in the kingdom of the world, we conform to the world. And the world defines expectations. The world sets goals and sets aims for us. Now, one way to understand the kingdom of the world is to look at the commercials on TV. I don't know if you do that kind of stuff. I do probably because of my job. But I look at commercials and look for sermon illustrations and try to relate it to all sorts of things that they probably have nothing to do with. <laughs> this commercial might. We'll see if you, if you will agree with me. But the culture, our culture, the kingdom of the world, puts out signals, right, to us. And they tell us what these values that they're promoting are. And we can conform or we can resist. And we see that especially as in the way that things are sold. So there's a Chevy truck commercial that goes like this. This is a, an accurate transcript of what you would see on TV if you haven't seen this commercial. This is what you would would hear. There's a truck driving, right? There's all sorts of people. They're showing people in different situations. There's cello music playing. So imagine all that, right? And this is what the narrator says. I don't have as deep a voice as typically you would have in a commercial, but this is, these are the words. How do you want to live? As a decent person? Fine human being? Not a bad guy? Always showing up? getting the job done as a good father, friend, son. Is that it? Good? Of course not. Parent of the year, better. Employee of the month, absolutely. Going above and beyond, check. Making a hard skip a bit, thump. One of a kind, the center of the world, the linchpin, undeniable, like a boss, like a rebel, like a standard bearer, like a pro. At this point, you're ready to buy the truck, right? <laughs> we couldn't agree more. We are professional-grade GMC. This is the commercial. What do you think they're selling? Trucks? <laughs> no. They're selling success. They're selling power. They're selling acceptance. They're selling you on this idea that in this kingdom of the world, 
This is how you find significance. Through accomplishments. Through validation. Through victory. Through competition. Through driving the right truck in this case. We need to submit to the world's expectations. This is what the commercial is telling us. You need to submit to the expectations of the kingdom of the world. You can't simply choose to be a good employee and say, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm going to do my job well. Oh no, you must become the best. Like a boss, like a pro. That is your destiny, right? Better than everybody else at your job. And if you're not really better, just appear to be better. Get that award. Get that recognition. You can't just be a good parent or good spouse. You've got to be an impressive spouse and a celebrated parent. Because that is how you get validation and acceptance in this kingdom of the world. You must become part of the machine. This type of emphasis on self-promotion, self-exaltation at whatever the cost is, is common in the kingdom of the world. That brings us to the next point. Truth brings life. Truth brings life. John 18:36. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. This is where he clearly says there's a different kingdom at play here. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. In the kingdom of the world... We expect that other people will sacrifice themselves so we can retain our power. That's how the kingdom of the world works. I will use other people so I can become the employee of the month. I will use other people so I can be the parent of the year. If they need to sacrifice, it's okay because they will sacrifice for my power and my achievement. This is what Pilate is doing. He does not believe Jesus is guilty. And yet he sacrifices Jesus to retain his power. That's exactly what he's doing. In his kingdom, in his world, that is okay. To preserve power is okay to sacrifice people. So for him to appease Caesar and the Jews and to keep his post as prefect of Judea, he sacrifices Jesus like a pro, like a boss, governor of the year. That's what he's doing. Now contrasted to Jesus in the kingdom of truth, Jesus sacrifices himself for the sake of his servants. It's very different from how the world works. Pilate's kingdom affirms power at the expense of life. But Jesus' kingdom affirms life at the expense of power. Jesus gives up his power to give life to his followers. Do you remember that scene of the arrest when they come, the soldiers come to get Jesus, finally. One of the first things he says, take me, leave everybody else here. All the disciples are left unharmed. He makes sure that he is the only one that's taken away. Why? He cares about his people. He will sacrifice his life for the sake of his servants. I mean, this is an amazing thing, that a king, remember, a king would do that. To which Pilate says, are you a king? That's not what kings do. You see, kings would have their troops fight for them. And Jesus says, yes, it was a, as a kingdom of this world, that's how we would do it. But my kingdom is not of this world. We don't do things like that in the kingdom of God. I sacrifice myself for my servants. That's how things work. My truth, the things they really are, exposes the need for the king to sacrifice for his servants and to give life by giving up his power. That's the kingdom of truth. It's built on sacrificial love. This is not the kingdom of the world. This is very different. C.S. Lewis and his Screwtape Letters, uh, if you haven't read Screwtape Letters, it's a fictional correspondence between a senior devil who's kind of mentoring a less experienced uh, tempter and showing him how to tempt people away from Christ. And here's what he reveals the senior tempter is writing, what he reveals about the difference between God's goals and Satan's goals. He says, he really does want to fill the universe, he's talking about God, so God really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life, on its miniature scale, 
will be qualitatively like his own, like God's own life. Not because he's absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. This is the key phrase. We, Satan's kingdom, we want cattle who can finally become food. He, God, wants servants who can finally become sons. That's the difference. In the kingdom of the world, we are cattle to be used, to be manipulated, to be taken advantage of so that somebody can get more power. But in the kingdom of God, we are servants who are becoming children for whom our parent will sacrifice his life. Which kingdom do you belong in? How do you operate in your family, at work, at school, in your neighborhood? Do you sacrifice your power, your privilege, your right, something that may be rightly yours, for the sake of others? Are you giving your power away so then you can bless someone and give them life? Or are you using others to gain more power, more privilege, more rights for yourself? That's the third trait of the kingdom. Truth gives life. And finally, our final point. Truth has a name. Truth is a person. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And Jesus is the king of the kingdom of truth. He himself is truth. He says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, just as we sang in the beginning of the service. Jesus has revealed in himself this divine reality, the way things really are. He has shown us what God is like because he himself is God in the flesh. He has shown us the reality of our sin and the reality of God's grace. That's how things really are. There is sin and there is grace. There is judgment and there is forgiveness. So Pilate unwittingly proclaimed the greatest truth, although he himself has rejected Christ's offer to join the side of the truth and listen to his voice. But Pilate nevertheless proclaimed this great truth, Behold your king. Behold your king. So we'll finish with this, with this challenge. Behold your king. Are you in his kingdom of truth, Do you belong in his kingdom? And to belong in his his kingdom, you do that by beholding, by looking at, by connecting with King Jesus. Behold your king. Isaiah tells us he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. Enter his kingdom and live under his rule. In your heart behold him, for he does not look at appearances. Behold your king, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth the foundation of his kingdom, and the truth will set you free. Do you know that you can only be the real you through Christ? We talk a lot about authenticity and real life, becoming who you are, following who you really are. That's a a big point of emphasis in our culture. But do you know that you can only be who you really are in Christ? Who gets to define who you really are? Who really knows who you really are? It can only be one who made you. It can only be one who looks beyond the appearances, beyond the front you put on and looks into your heart and says, this is who you really are. Only his expectations perfectly match how you were made. Friends, this is freedom. To know that what God expects from you is perfectly matched to who you really are. That's freedom. That's not oppressive. That's not restrictive. God says, I'm expecting you to be who you are and expecting you to flourish and develop and grow and work the way you were made to do this. And I will tell you what these expectations are because I know you. This is freedom. To live according to the reality as revealed in Christ. To live knowing that we are sinners and yet we are forgiven by God. That's freedom. To live confidently 
knowing that my worth, my worth is not determined by some system or machine, but that I am loved and accepted and embraced and even praised by God Himself, by grace. When you hear that, that should make you feel free. Because God is saying, this is who you are, and you can live in that freedom. You can be the authentic you, the way I made you, the way I redeemed you. Though you are a sinner, you are completely forgiven and accepted and welcomed in my family. I know you and I love you, God says. No secrets. He knows exactly who you are and He fully embraces you by grace because of Jesus. And now you don't have to pretend. You don't have to become someone else. You can be who you are in Christ, flourish in His grace. Freedom from fear of failure. I don't need to be the employee of the month, parent of the year, for God to love me. I don't need to do that. I hope I can be a good parent. I hope I can be a good good employee. I want to do that for Him. I want to express my gifts and skills that He gave me. I want to work hard for Him. But my identity isn't dependent on that. And if I fail, I fail. It's okay. It doesn't change me. It doesn't change who I am. Freedom from judgment. Wrath of God has been taken away. What can man do to me? Why does it matter that somebody judges me? If God himself says, I fully accept you. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm free from others defining who I am or who I should be. Behold your king. Your king gave up his power to give us life. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He had rights. He had privileges. He had power as God. But instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up his very life to give us life. He gave up his power to give us life because he loves us. Behold your king. We're going to come to the table. And what happens at the table is an affirmation that I belong in his kingdom. You only come to the table if you belong in his kingdom. If you have beheld the king and you have said, this is my king and I'm rejecting the machine of the world, I'm rejecting the kingdom of the world with its emphasis on appearances, with its enslaving power, I'm rejecting that. I'm going to be true. I'm going to be alive. I'm going to be free under the rule of my king, Jesus. Which kingdom do you belong to? If you belong to the kingdom of Jesus, you are absolutely welcomed at this table. You don't have to be part of our church. You just have to be part of his kingdom, part of him. And so you come to this table, and you take the bread and you take the cup, and in faith you are saying, this is my king. I am beholding my king, the one who died so that I could live in his kingdom forever. If you're not a believer, I, I just want to encourage you, and I'm, and I'm praying, and many people are praying for you, that you would see Jesus for who he is, that you would behold him, that you would look at him and say, he doesn't look like a king, but he is a king. He gives me freedom. He gives me life. He gives me a new life in his new world, in his new kingdom, and I'm embracing that by faith. I'm making a choice to leave the kingdom of the world and to come into the kingdom of God today. You can do that by faith because God is extending his grace to you through Christ and the Holy Spirit is calling you to come to Jesus. Let me pray and then we will sing and as we sing we'll take communion. We will also have a baptism right after communion so this is an exciting service for us. But as we take communion, you can come down and and take communion right here or take it back to your seats to meditate on the gospel. If you're out in the balconies, you can just go where you are. There are tables set up for you there and you can take communion right there. So let's pray together and prepare our hearts. Father, we praise you.
that your kingdom is breaking into the kingdom of the world. Lord, I am so grateful that we do not have to stay stuck in the machine of this world. That we can be free today. That we could live today. That we can be confident in who we are because we know who we are from you who made us and redeemed us. I am so grateful that in Jesus you bring this new life and new kingdom to us right now. Give us faith to embrace it. For those who have never entered your kingdom before, I pray that today would be the day to go in, to behold the king, to embrace the kingdom with its traits and principles. Holy Spirit, call them to their king. For those of us who have been in the kingdom, I pray that you would show us how we are to live according to the way things really are. Help us to live in the reality of the truth as is revealed in Jesus. Help us not to use worldly principles and embrace worldly values and define ourselves by the way the world sets its expectations on us, but let us define ourselves in the way that you see us, kingdom of truth, the way things really are in Christ. Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's do it together.